And grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I'd like to uh, just offer a suggestion, if you wouldn't, uh, or you might want to keep the um, worship folder before you, especially page 7. As we think about the gospel reading here, and that's what we're going to meditate on this morning, uh, you can have that. I'm not going to read it because we've already heard it, so um, you might want to keep that. And I also want to just kind of point forward a little bit, kind of strange, but we're going to start a sermon by thinking about the closing hymn that we're going to sing. Don't have to look it up or anything. Um, it's, the title is, I Lay My Sins on Jesus. I Lay My Sins on Jesus. And then the second stanza, I Lay My Wants on Jesus. And the third echoes the psalm that we just spoke. I find my rest. I rest my soul on Jesus. And the last stanza, just giving you an up warning, but the last stanza is the one that always hits me emotionally. I long to be like Jesus. And it hits me because it reminds me of how I fall short but it also reminds me of what is to come, doesn't it? I long to be like Jesus. Isn't that our wish and our prayer? Don't we want to be like Jesus? Don't we want to imitate Jesus? But what does that mean, right? I mean, there's some things where it's impossible and unnecessary to imitate Jesus, right? We don't have divine power to feed thousands of people. And it's not necessary that we go up on the cross and die for the sins of the world because Jesus already did that. But other things, we long to imitate Jesus, don't we? His love for people. His forgiveness his obedience to his heavenly Father. Jesus is the Savior, we are sinners. Jesus is the Lord, we are his disciples. But you remember how many times Jesus spoke about the connection between Jesus' life and our life, between his cross and our cross, right? People have mistreated me in this way. You can expect that they will mistreat you also. A servant is not above the master, he said. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And those words kind of help us as we get into this gospel reading here and understand and apply it to our lives and as we think about our wish and our want to imitate Jesus. I'm going to be focusing on the second half a little bit, but we need to understand the first half. It's very important. So let's just think back to the first. And again, you can have your worship folder there. 
Jesus had just recently allowed three of his disciples to see his glory. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when he shined with all his glory? And that was kind of a turning point in his ministry. Okay? His earthly ministry and his life on earth was coming to an end, or we might say was coming to its fulfillment. The cross was looming, and the shadow was becoming more and more uh, evident. He would soon be taken up into heaven, it says. But first he had to go to Jerusalem. And you know what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, don't you? To being arrested and accused and beaten and condemned and eventually crucified outside of Jerusalem. Yeah, he would rise again and ascend to heaven, but he had to go through all of that suffering first. And it wasn't easy, but Jesus' commitment was strong, wasn't it? He was resolutely, he made it his firm purpose to set out for Jerusalem. Actually, literally, it says he set his face on going to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of times, Jews that were in Galilee that wanted to go to Jerusalem, remember, they would go around Samaria because the Samaritans were these unbelieving cousins, I guess, and we know all about the cultural and kind of the hatred and stuff. But this time, Jesus was determined to go directly to Jerusalem right through Samaria. Kind of like he did one time when he just had to meet that woman the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And so Jesus sent a couple of his messengers ahead to make preparations in Samaria. Samaria. But when they were rejected because they were going to Jerusalem, and then when James and John, two of his disciples, their idea was to bring fire and brimstone and condemnation on those unbelieving Samaritans, those enemies that won't even receive us, that are rejecting you, Jesus, when they wanted to bring fire, which, kidding me? Are they really the ones that could do that? But Jesus showed his firm commitment to his mission, to his purpose, right? He came to love sinners and save sinners. And so he rebuked his disciples, and he was determined to go up to Jerusalem. What a committed Savior we have, right? Committed to doing his Father's will. Committed to sinners. Committed to paying the price for their sins. Committed to achieving and giving them salvation. What a Savior we have. Worthy to be followed to be imitated. And that's kind of where my theme for today comes from. And you see it on the bottom of your worship folder. Committed Savior, committed disciples. We've all probably had uh, a variety of jobs in our life. I've had them, you. I have the best job in the world as pastor. Let me just state that right now. You've, hopefully, if you have a job, you love your job too. Um, not everyone maybe loves their job, but most jobs, whether we love them or we just 
live with them, whatever. They all start with an interview, right? Usually it's in person, a boss sits down, and now it's sometimes virtual, but you know, the, somebody, the interviewer sits down and goes through education, qualifications, experience, personality, whatever it might take, whatever it might take, and uh, I don't know. Some people love interviews. <laughs> Most people, I think, kind of dread them or, is, you know, we have to do it, but if Jesus would interview us, for the position of disciple. What would he say to us? Or what would Jesus expect from us? The three men we heard about in the text, the second half of the text, in a sense, they were going through an interview with Jesus for the position of disciple or follower, right? And they were being interviewed in the presence of Jesus' 12 disciples who were there also listening. And, you know, by God's inspiration, we are able to be part of that and we're uh, able to listen to that. These three apparently believed in Jesus, right? Because they all called him Lord. Okay? But before, let's kind of think about each one and then we're going to apply it to ourselves, so. First interviewee, right? He came to Jesus. He took the initiative. His words were noble and might even say they were inspiring. They were marvelous words. What a positive attitude he shows. What zeal, what dedication he promised. Like, pastors love this kind of member. Like, they're willing volunteers. Like, not because pastors are lazy, but it's great to see faith in action when people are willing to, like, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, and I'll do whatever you ask, right? You might think this first interview should have lasted about 30 seconds, right? Jesus, sign this guy up right on the spot. It's over. But surprisingly, Jesus said something to him. Might make us think a little bit, right? Foxes have their hole. Foxes have their, sorry, dens. Birds have their nests. But the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And the Son of Man, Jesus was talking about himself, right? And for the most part, Jesus didn't have a lot of comforts and he. He lived in poverty and moving around. And he says to this disciple, I'm not looking for impulsive disciples. I'm looking for committed disciples. Disciples who can count the cost. Disciples who are aware of the sacrifice that might be involved, that are willing miss out. Understand what's required. Eyes wide open. Day and night. Because at night they don't have a place to lay down. <laughs> Committed disciple. And following Jesus in whatever age can mean missing out. It can mean going without. It can mean receiving Rejection, as we see. 
suffering like Paul. It can mean a lot of negative consequences, being considered different, going against culture, seeming strange. But Jesus wants committed disciples who know and realize that being his disciple is job number one, their priority. Being in the word, studying his word, hearing his word, sharing his word, going to God in prayer, serving, serving others without asking what's in it for me. The way of discipleship of Jesus will not always be the easiest way, the most convenient way, the softest way, but discipleship doesn't mean following Jesus on our terms, but on his terms. And that brings us to the second interviewee. Jesus called this guy. Not like the first one who came to Jesus. Now Jesus simply invited number two to follow him. He gives a reply that seems pretty reasonable. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Fair enough, right? It would seem reasonable, socially accepted, socially expected, a duty, family obligation. But notice one word that he said that changes it. What did he say? Yes, Lord, but first, let me. First, something else. You might think about this too. If this man's father had just recently passed away, especially in those times, he'd be either at the funeral or at the graveside or making arrangements and comforting his family. He wouldn't be out on the corner, uh, on the street corner where Jesus could call him to, to follow him. I will follow you, Jesus, after one day my father passes away. Once my life is a little less complicated, once I'm freed up to follow you. And Jesus' answer seems cruel, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. But what was he saying? Don't let anything interfere get in the way of, conflict with being my disciple. And then the third, the third interviewee, applicant, seems eager. In fact, he told Jesus, yeah, I'll follow you. But his first, again, the same word, first, let me go say goodbye to my father and my mother. Again, seems like a good thing, right? But you might even think back to the Old Testament lesson, Elijah and Elisha. What did Elisha do? When Elijah called him, he said he went back and said goodbye to his father and to his mother. But Jesus didn't look at it that way here. Jesus wasn't just a prophet like Elijah or a pastor or a friend. Jesus was God, and he looked right into that man's heart, didn't he? And he said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service 
in the kingdom of God. In other words, when you set out as a disciple, as my disciple, keep looking forward, not backward. Farmers would understand very clearly. Maybe a modern example would be try driving forward but looking in the rearview mirror. You could do it for a while, maybe, but not recommendable. Friends, don't you find these sayings that Jesus is speaking to these men? Aren't they like some of the tough words that Jesus spoke? (laughs) Jesus demands more than we might expect, doesn't he? Jesus demands more than we would even imagine. Now, we don't know what happened with these three. Did they bomb the interview? It's like one of those open questions in the Bible where the results aren't there. Did they fail or did they follow Jesus? Jesus doesn't say, but they knew what? They knew what Jesus expected, right? Let's not forget that the other 12 disciples were there listening too as Jesus spoke to each of them. And they would learn what discipleship following Jesus is like with commitment and a single purpose, whether it's easy or rough, whether it's in time or out of time or convenient or not convenient. Now, if those three men needed to hear these words from Jesus, and if Jesus' 12 disciples needed to hear these words from Jesus, do you think maybe there's, it's good for us to think about and ponder these words? Do you think maybe it's good for us to ask maybe a tough question? What is your number one priority in life? Pause a second. Let it sink in. What's our number one priority in life? Family? House? Relationships? Job? Fun? Education? Are any of these things wrong or sinful? Give me up, up and down or sideways, yes or no? No. None of them are sinful, right? But we also know what Jesus is saying here. Anything above Jesus into that place in our hearts, that number one position, anything above Jesus is sinful. Only he belongs in that place. He deserves that place. Unfortunately, if Jesus were interviewing me, or if he were interviewing you, um, you know, it's an open question whether they bombed or whatever, but on our own merits, we're not qualified. Just like the three men, and just like the twelve disciples, we give evidence of our sinfulness. We like our convenience. 
just like anybody else. When Jesus says go or says follow, we don't always jump. When Jesus says go, we sometimes hesitate or vacillate or we make a good beginning, but we don't follow through. I mean, if we think about, I know it's a hard question, but if we think about it, we give evidence of our sinful nature that's still with us. Sometimes we say to Jesus, yes, but first, Jesus demands more than we might expect. But you know something? That's his way. Not only does he seem to demand more than we might expect, but he has done more than we might expect and certainly more than we deserve, right? What am I referring to? The commitment that he showed right from the beginning here, his resolute, his decision, his determination, his commitment to go to Jerusalem and for you and for me to give his life for our sin and for our weakened commitment. And he has called us by his grace. And that's why my theme, committed Savior, committed Christian. In a sense, we do look back, don't we? But we don't look back to our past. We don't look back to our former way of life. We don't look back at the good works that we've done. But we do look back, right? We look back to Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. And when we do that, we get a picture of a Savior who was how committed? A little committed? <laughs> Somewhat committed? Pretty much committed? We have a Savior who was 100% committed to us, to our salvation. So these tough words about Jesus, about following Jesus, it's not so much, it's not only about what he expects from us, it's also about what he wants to give us. Because following him, no matter what the circumstances, and despite our own sinful nature, is for our good and for our eternal salvation. And you know what? When we begin to understand the commitment that Jesus has shown to us, what happens here? There's a commitment that grows here. A commitment to our Savior, Jesus. We want to become committed to him and live our lives for him because he lived for us. We love him because he first loved us, and so we want to follow him and commit to him and come back to his word to renew that commitment week by week, day by day. Um, if one day, I don't know when this will happen, might happen, but if one day a young man comes to me and uh, wants to speak to me and he says, uh, well, he probably won't say pastor, but he'll probably say something like uh, pops or dad or something, 
And this young man says, you know, your daughter and I have been seeing each other for a while. And we love each other. And we want, my daughter doesn't have a boyfriend right now, so I'm fine, I can say this. But we've been seeing each other, we love each other, we want to spend our lives together, right? And he says, could I ask you a question? And his question is this, Dad, what's the minimum commitment that I could give to your daughter? What would you think about that? What would I think about that? The only thing I could imagine saying is, young man, why don't you ask her about that? Right? For Jesus, there's no minimum commitment, is there? He was all in, always. And for Jesus' disciples, there's no minimum commitment either. We follow Jesus not on our terms, but on his terms. He knows the way. He knows the destination. He knows what's in store for us better than we do. He is Lord. He is Savior. In a sense, our salvation costs nothing, right? And how great is that? But in another sense, Following Jesus can cost everything. And that's okay, isn't it? Because if for Jesus we lose our lives, what did he say? We will find it. He invites us to come along with him all the way to heaven. So let's follow him day by day, counting the cost, looking forward, proclaiming the kingdom of God. How can we do anything else? As committed disciples, following our committed Savior. Amen. The peace of God that goes beyond all understanding, may it keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.